Thank you, Kevin, for the children's story. It's always nice. And Phyllis for that beautiful music. Acapella. Very nice. The verses we just read were from the Last Supper. Jesus' Last Supper with his disciples. It was a significant time. It was a significant event. It is something that our Christian church has memorialized, hasn't it? It seems that all eternity hinged on the event, in a way. But it was just more than that. Uh, Sometimes, you know, we read these stories, these Bible stories, and we read them so much, we start to think that they're just stories, that they're fiction. But this wasn't fiction. This was real life. This was the Apostle John giving you an eyewitness account of what actually happened at the Last Supper of Jesus Christ. And it was important, not only to us in the Christian church, it was important to John. John seems to have given the most detailed account of those last hours with Jesus. And why did he do it? If you think about it, it was important to John. This was, this was somebody he loved, loved dearly. And this was the last time, the last time they were together. And to him that was significant. And it seems he wanted to get all the words just right, if you read the accounts. There's a reason I wrote this sermon in a way is because there's been, a, there's been too many Last Suppers around here lately as all, all of you can attest. We've lost a lot of brothers and sisters. We lost mothers. We lost grandmothers. We even lost a son. And I think the Last Supper, Jesus' Last Supper, with his disciples, is more than just the Last Supper for Jesus. It was, I believe, it prefigures all of our Last Suppers together. Whenever that time will come, who knows? If we knew ahead of time, it would make that last time together very, very precious and very, very special. Who would you want to be there if you knew it was your last supper together? Each of us has to ponder and determine that for themselves. Most likely, you would probably want your husband or wife to be there or your children Possibly some of your grandchildren, maybe your brothers or sisters, maybe even a special friend. But mainly you would want your family to be there. Those whom you know the best and who know you the best. Those who are, you are so close to that we don't even realize how much they mean to us anymore until it's too late. And we cannot tell them though we want to so very, very badly and so very, very desperately, those we love the most, but due to something within us, we are unable to or unwilling to express that love to them openly until it's too late. And then we can never do so, no matter how hard we want to. So that's what makes every supper together precious even if it's only a bowl of cornflakes together after a movie late at night. Why? 
Because you never know when that might be your last supper. And you will always remember that. And how precious that was to you. No matter if it's a meal for an 18-year-old at McDonald's or a meal for an old coot in a nursing home, each meal we have is significant because it signifies life. And it also signifies one day when life will cease and how precious life is, how precious life together is. And again, most of the time we never give it a second thought of how precious it is until it's too late. Our last supper together. What would we say if we knew? Would we finally express our love to those that we love the most and that we withhold those words too until it's too late? Would we tell them of the significant things they have done during our lives? Or how significant they were during our lives once and for all before it's too late? We need to. We need to express them no matter how awkward it makes us feel at the time. Because if we don't, we will always regret it later. And it will make us feel much worse the rest of our lives instead of just a little awkward. So at the Last Supper, what did Jesus say? He knew it was his last supper. His disciples, I believe, knew it too. The Romans were out to get him. The Jews were out to get him. One of his own disciples was out to get him, he told the others, even though they couldn't understand which one or why. But he did. What did he say to those he loved, to those special ones in his life that he invited to his last supper, which is every one of us? if you really get down and think about it. Well, this is what he said. Little children. Little children. I think it's kind of odd that he would address grown men as little children. But then again, we got to remember, he is the creator of all things. And we are his little children. He said, little children, I shall be with you a little while longer. You will seek me, and as I said to the Jews, where I am going, you cannot come. And then Simon Peter said to him, Lord, where are you going? Where was he going? The Bible tells us he was going to the garden to pray. To pray to his father. Not to let the awful thing happen to him that he knew was already happening. And the Gospels do not record that he got so much as a whisper in reply. He was going alone, and he was going scared out of, half out of his wits. The Bible says his anguish was so deep that he sweated blood. But yet he went. Why? Did you ever wonder why? And he was going farther than just the garden, wasn't he? Where was he going? As if they, the disciples, didn't know where he was going. As if you and I don't know either where he was going and where all of us are going too. He was going down the stairs and out the door into the dark. The Last Supper 
not only prefigures our own last suppers, wherever and whenever they are to be, it is, it is also our last supper. Bible stories are more than just Bible stories. They are actually our stories. You cannot read the account of it without in some measure being there at the table where he sits with his disciples. It is our table. And as they drew close to the light of him, we too tried to draw close. You will seek me, Jesus said. You will seek me. And no other words he ever spoke hits closer to home. We seek for answers to life's questions. We seek for questions about life and about death. We seek answers to questions about what is right and what is wrong. We seek answers for questions about unspeakable things that go on in this world. We seek for strength. We seek for peace. We seek for a path through the forest. But Christians are people who maybe more than anything else seek for Christ. And even if we're not Christians, and whether we want to or not, there seems to be something within us that reaches out, that searches for Christ. But why? Why? Maybe because he is actually the one reaching out to us. And we sense that in some way. And that we long for that in some way. That companionship, that fellowship that he is offering. To know and to be known. Even though many times he seems just out of reach. Just a little too far for us to see quite clearly. The one who is nearest and dearest to us, or should I say the farthest and dearest to us, because he seems just a little bit too far away to see very well. But if we have any hope at all, he is our hope. And so when Peter asked Jesus, where are you going? I think the real question behind the question is really, are you going anywhere? Or are you just going out like a light? And that is also our question, both about him and about ourselves. When time runs out, does life run out? Did Jesus' life run out? Do you and I and our loved ones run out? Jesus answered, where I am going, you cannot follow me now, but you shall follow me afterward. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am there, you will be also. When Jesus said, I go to prepare a place for you, that where I am you may be also, he was speaking about death. Because that is what was uppermost in his mind, as well as disciples at the time, and which I suspect is uppermost in all of our minds, too, more often than we let on. 
So what does he say? He says he's not just going out like a light. He says he is going on. He says he's going ahead. He says we will go there too when our time comes. And who can't resist giving our hearts to him as he says it? So in other words, during this Last Supper, Christ reassures us. He says, let not your hearts be troubled during times like these. It's okay. It's okay. Take it easy. Don't worry. Take heart. Everything's going to be all right. Believe in God, he said. Believe also in me. I have prepared a place for you, and one day I will come and take you there. So can we believe that? Can we? In our best days, yes. In our worst days, I don't know. We're all doubting Thomases at one time or another, when times are bleak, when times are hard. So can we believe that? Are we believers, you and I? Can we believe as a child believes? At least like would-be believers, part-time believers, believers with our fingers crossed? Believing in him is not the same as believing things about him, such as that he was born of a virgin and raised Lazarus from the dead. No, instead, it's a matter of giving our hearts to him, of come hell or high water, putting our money down on him. The way a child believes in a mother or a father. The way a mother or a father believes in a child. This is our hope. This is the light that he offers us. But yet, how? How do we get there? Jesus says, where I go, you know the way. He says, where I go, you know, and the way you know. Then pouting like a little child, Thomas asked, Lord, we do not know where you are going, and how can we know the way? Good question. How do any of us know the way? When we have a hard enough time just finding our way home in the dark. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. I am the way, Jesus says. I am the way. What in the world does he mean by that? He didn't say a certain doctrine is a way. He didn't even say a certain church is the way. He didn't even say to do this or to do that is the way. No, he just said he is the way. What does he mean by that? This is what I think it means, to me anyway. To me, he is saying that during life's journey, one way or another, that somehow, some way, he gets through to us. Just don't squelch it or be indifferent to it. Be open to him as he reveals himself. And even though we don't see him clearly or understand everything perfectly, if we keep at it, if we keep longing, if we keep searching, if we keep believing, if we keep the path open, he will lead the way to life, true life. Not the life we live now, no, to a better life. One day, 
One day, Jesus Christ, the way, will make everything right. And we will be with him forever. And we will be made whole. Today, we are never at peace. We long to be more than what we are, better than what we are. But then we will be what we, are, or we were originally created to be, whole, once and for all, and at total peace. At peace with one another, and most importantly, at peace with who and what we are. So don't worry, Jesus says. In my Father's house are many mansions, he says. And he has gone to prepare a place for us. It is there right now waiting for you and me and all those we miss. Those rooms are in the new Jerusalem in heaven, the Bible says, wherever that is. But also the Bible tells us that God will create a new heaven and a new earth. And that the new Jerusalem will come down from heaven and be placed in this earth that is made new. There will be no more pain, no more crying, no more death. We will build homes and inhabit them. We will once again till the soil. How do I know? Because the Bible tells me so. The prophet Isaiah, who gave many prophecies and predictions, numerous predictions of the birth of Jesus Christ, which all came true, also was given a vision of heaven. And this is what he said, For behold, I create a new heaven and a new earth, and the former former shall not be remembered or come to mind. The voice of weeping shall no longer be heard in her, nor the voice of crying. No more shall an infant from there live but a few days. They shall build houses and inhabit them. They shall plant vineyards and eat their fruit. They shall not build and another inhabit. They shall not plant and another eat. And my elect shall long enjoy the work of their hands. They shall labor, they shall not labor in vain, nor bring forth children for trouble. For they shall be the descendants of the blessed of the Lord and their offspring with them. It shall come to pass that before they call, I will answer. And while they are still speaking, I will hear. The wolf and the lamb shall feed together. The lion shall eat straw like the ox. They shall not hurt nor destroy in all my holy mountain. Thus saith the Lord. So what what will it be like, heaven? What will it be like? None of us knows exactly. I don't know. I remember once when we were kids, we asked our pastor, what will it be like? What will heaven be like? And you know what he told us? He says, Try to think of something that in your life that gives you the most happiness, the most joy. And he says, multiply that by a million. That will be what heaven is like. And you know, of all the descriptions I've heard of heaven, I thought, you know, that one's about the best I've ever heard. It'll be everything to everybody. And the Bible says, I has not seen nor have entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for them. So what will it be like? I don't know. Have ever any of you ever thought you caught a glimpse of heaven here on earth? Do you know what I'm talking about? Have you ever had a time where you, all of a sudden it, it occurred to you that you were experienced 
experiencing heaven? I lived 52 years and I never had that experience until last year. First time was I, I always spend time in the morning. I think we all have a special place where we commune with God, right? I like to go out on my front deck in the morning with my cats. And it's an enclosed deck where my cats can go out and I don't have to chase them around the neighborhood. You know, they're, And I always love spending time out there with God and spent a lot of long, many, many hours soul-searching there with God. And one day, as I was going outside, before I even got out there, I, I knew something was different. And as I went outside, I, I was just kind of amazed, looking around, trying to figure out what was, what was different. I'm trying to describe to you words can't really describe. It seemed like it just glowed outside, the sunlight, and just the beauty of the trees and the birds. I'd never seen so many birds talking and chattering, cardinals. And then I have... I had some ducks do a flyover. I call it a flyover. My ducks, I have a crick in the backyard. They went... And just everything just seemed so amazing, so alive, like I'd never seen it before. And I, I can't... It dawned on me, I think this is heaven. I think God's given me a glimpse of heaven. And, you know, I didn't even want to turn around and go back in the house for anything. I wanted just to stay there because I thought if I left, the moment would stop. And I just sat there and sat there and sat there. Something you cherish, something that you remember. And then a few months later, I went to a wedding. I was invited to a wedding by a good friend of mine. I'm not a wedding kind of guy. Try to avoid him. But I went. It's a good friend. Got to go. Me and my wife went. We got there early. It was an outdoor wedding. And it was that one up by De Pere there, by Freedom De Pere. Beautiful. We went there, and it was just so beautiful, the way they had everything landscaped. We got there early, so we just walked around and enjoyed all the beautiful flowers. And the grass was so green, and they have like a gazebo, and it's just beautiful. Then we spent some time chatting. There was, it wasn't a large wedding, just a small wedding. And then we went to sit down. Your little white chairs were all out, real pretty. And we went and sat down, me and my wife. And then all of a sudden I noticed this dragonfly come flying by me, about four feet high. You know dragonflies? You ever watch them? They'll do like 90-degree turns, you know, just back and forth. Well, this little dragonfly would fly up one row, go up to the next row, fly down that row, go up to the next row, fly down that row, then come back again. And it just kept doing that. <clears throat> so I was enjoying that. And then the other people started to walk in and sit down, and I was just praying they wouldn't hit that dragonfly, you know, and kill it. Because to me it was so beautiful, you know. And then uh, the bridesmaids came through, right, and uh, we're getting ready for this the bride to walk up and we all turn and there's the bride and her dad and I know my friend real well I know he always was concerned that his daughter would meet the right one you know how it goes 
you, li you love and you lose sometimes. And she was always worried she would, wouldn't ever find the right one. But here was the time. Father and daughter looking at each other in the eyes, smiling. And I wondered what's going through their minds right now. A father losing his best buddy. A daughter that found the right one. And the way they looked at each other, and it started to dawn on me, this is what God intended. He said, be fruitful and multiply, right? He gave us the gift, man and a woman. And here it was happening. And I'm not a sentimental kind of guy, but I got tears in my eyes thinking about it. And then the more I thought about those things, the Garden of Eden, I was there, marriage ceremony, all the beauty. I says, it dawned on me, I'm in heaven. I'm in heaven. And the service started, and that little dragonfly kept flying back and forth through the aisles. And I tell you, when it happens to you, you cherish that time. Now, there was a lot of other people there. Did they see what I saw? I don't think so. I never told anyone. Each time this happened, I never told anybody. I think it's kind of personal. It's something that I believe God gives you as a gift. Something for you to cherish and to remember. You know, and I didn't, I didn't go out that day expecting to see heaven. It just happened. And if you've ever had an experience like that, you know what I'm talking about. If you've never had an experience like that, keep your eyes open. But you know what? You'll never know it's going to happen until it happens. It, it comes upon you. It catches you unaware. And the moment might just about be over by the time you realize that you're getting a glimpse of heaven. And I think God gives it to us, and it's very personal to each of us, what, what we experience, because I believe it's something that we can look back on and remember and cherish when we're going through the hard times of life, the Last Supper times of life, the tragic times of life, like the time, say, we lose somebody, and we just don't think we can go on another day because we lost that person. It's for those days when, say, you visit the doctor and he says, we found something. And yes, indeed, you learn you are mortal. It's something that you can remember that Jesus gives you. And I think it's his way of telling us during times like these that it's okay. It's okay. Don't worry. Take it easy. Everything's going to be okay. And he says, I didn't just go out like a light. I went on. And I have gone and prepared a place for you. That where I am, you may be also. And all our loved ones. And that life 
isn't meant to run out. It's meant to go on. And in the next life, it's going to be beautiful. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much for the gift of life. Thank you so much for the life of Jesus Christ who came and who came and prepared the way and show, shows us the way. Life is tough, we know it, you know it. But thank you for those, those times, those brief times when everything seems right, where everything is good, where we feel ultimate peace. Thank you for those brief moments that, that reflect what paradise will be like with you forever and with our loved ones. Help us always to remember and cherish these thoughts. Give us faith. Give us hope. Give us strength. 